Welcome to the Evolved Caveman, where men learn to be successful and happy with your host, Dr. John Schinnerer, as he shares the most impactful ideas and practices for you to get the most from your relationships, your work, and from your life. Now, here's Dr. John. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. John back with another episode. I think we're at like 140 episodes so far of the Evolved Caveman. How the heck are you? Happy Sunday. Uh, I guess happy Monday by the time you're listening to this. I just finished watching the Cowboys destroy the Giants. Boy, the Giants need a a quarterback uh, badly. Maybe Jake Fromm is the quarterback. I don't know. Um, All right. So we are back with week two or part two of resiliency according to science. And to me, this is some of the most important stuff that you can get from science how to be more resilient. So last week I covered the first three traits of highly resilient people, namely soldiers who had been held as POWs for over six years and who emerged from that psychologically healthy. So those three that I covered last week are realistic optimism, excelling at finding the silver lining in the hard times in your life and having a meaning or purpose. And as I said, there is just no greater trait than resiliency to seek, to cultivate right now. As we're in the second year of a worldwide pandemic with the new Omicron variation kind of hitting us hard at this moment. So resiliency means that life will knock the wind out of you. And you will feel depressed or upset or anxious or even defeated at times. That much is a given. Pain in life is a certainty. It's simply the price of admission for this beautiful thing that we call life. Resiliency is the learned skill of bouncing back from adversity more quickly, with more energy, with more wisdom than you had before the adversity. It's the idea of bouncing forward. Pardon me, sip of tea there. So just as a way to ease into this topic, let me share a really powerful idea with you to illustrate where this skill begins to develop. Because people who don't have any adversity in life rarely learn to become resilient. There's just no chance to practice. So here's what I want you to do. Imagine three concentric circles. Each circle is slightly larger than the first. The first circle, the smallest circle, let's call that your comfort zone. This is where you enjoy spending time, partly because you aren't pushed, you aren't stressed, partly because you're in control, you can relax here. While you are safe and secure here, there is little to no growth that occurs in the comfort zone. There's no adversity that forces you to grow here. In the second circle, the discomfort zone, you acquire new skills, although they all feel uncomfortable, awkward, and unnatural at first. This is where you begin to face your challenges head on without excuse. Rather than ask yourself why, as in why did this happen to me, you ask how or what, as in how can I best deal with this? And what is the next smallest step I can take in the right direction? You'll see as you grow in wisdom and experience, you stop asking why. Why did this happen to me? It's not about you. It's not personal. It's just life. 
And the third circle is the growth zone. This is an extension of the discomfort zone in that you continue to learn new, more challenging skills. Here you begin to focus on meaning and purpose. You learn to spelunk in your tragedy, difficulty, and pain to find the lessons that reside in them. You learn to review your past arguments and shortcomings with greater objectivity, that is, with less emotion. You quickly and expertly have learned to find the silver lining in your shadow side. This is where you go after stretch goals. And even if you don't succeed in achieving those stretch goals, you can still find the meaning in the failure. Or another way of looking at it is as a learning opportunity. And to paraphrase Teddy Roosevelt, you become the man in the arena whose face is covered in dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again, who knows there is no effort without error, yet is the one who actually strives to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, who spends himself in worthy causes, who at the best knows the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with the cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Great quote. It's one of the reasons why I started this podcast. I wanted to be in the arena. As Zig Ziglar said, if you're not willing to learn, no one can help you. If you are determined to learn, nothing can stop you which is why one of my primary, my closely held values is lifelong learning. All right, on to the remaining traits of resiliency. The fourth one is role models of resilience. So who are your role models of resiliency? Because one of the things that the POWs did to help preserve their sanity was to identify people whom they admired for their perseverance in mastering formidable challenges even traumatic ones. For some POWs, this was a spouse back at home, or a parent, or a friend, or a famous leader. There's really no end to who you can pick. They can be alive or dead. You don't even have to know these people in real life to learn from their resiliency. Gandhi, MLK Jr., Malcolm X, Martin Luther, JFK Jr. Well, those are some of my heroes. Feel free to pick your own. Because what we've found in studies is that the human mind is remarkably adept at assuming the voice of another person so that we can have internal conversations with these people. You can even create an internal board of directors of famous, wise people with high integrity to guide your actions. All right. So that's have resilient role models. The next one up is find your true north. It's critical during times of crisis to have strong values. You want to know what your true north is. Why are you doing what you're doing? Do you value lifelong learning, as I mentioned earlier? Do you value honesty, country, family, wisdom? Maybe you value God or serving others. What are your top three values? Because having a strong moral compass was integral to most of the POWs that have been studied. Mark Twain once said, you can't go wrong by doing the right thing. And he was right. 
Number seven, cultivate a strong sense of humor. Hmm, seems a little anti-intuitive. But yes, you want to be quick and easy to smile and laugh. It's as simple as that. Most men I know take themselves far too seriously. We are often governed by fear. Fear of embarrassment, fear of negative judgment, fear of failure, hell, fear of success. So you want to get more comfortable with embarrassment. In truth, it's the silly emotion where your cheeks get red for 30 seconds after you accidentally violate a social rule. No big deal. Understand it's okay if other people laugh at you. It puts them at ease. It relaxes them. And we know humor is incredibly helpful during times of enormous stress. Personally, I've developed a sense of humor where I can laugh about nearly anything. Meth problem? Check. Porn addiction? Check. Depression? Got it. Panic attacks? Can be hilarious. Suicide attempt? Well, maybe with a little distance. Of course, the circumstances have to be right. And, and this is called a gallows sense of humor, which people that deal with heavy issues often develop. So you have to be able to read the room. And sometimes I might make inappropriately timed jokes. But I think that taking the risk of making someone laugh is worth the risk. You see, it's my belief that humor is tragedy plus 15 seconds, where that 15 seconds represents any actual length of time. It could be a month, a year, whatever. I mean, consider the tragedy of the Twin Towers 9-11. Horrible, horrible attack on the U.S. And yet, you know at some point, some comedian was inevitably going to make a joke about it. And that joke, the first joke, is going to offend a lot of people. And that joke is an important part of healing from that tragedy as well. It's an and, it's not an or. Because the sooner we can get psychological distance from the situation and view it through a different lens that allows some humor in, it's a break, it's a release, it's a relief. And the sooner we get that, the sooner we start to heal. So you want to encourage and build up your sense of humor. Be quick and easy to laugh and smile. You are never more in the moment than when you laugh. When you're laughing from the gut, your worries dissolve. It's like jogging on the inside. The Buddhists have a saying which I love, laughter is the language of the gods. And authentic laughter is characterized by an absence of thought. And Honestly, isn't that all what we're shooting for, at least at times? To shut up that voice in our head, at least for a moment? It is so simple to smile, and yet we almost never do it. Smiling reduces tension. It fills you up with energy. It makes you feel happy. It boosts your immune system functioning. Laughing exercises the heart. Smiling actually improves the quality of your relationships. Because people like to be around those who laugh easily and those who make them laugh. And as I said before, it makes other people feel safe around you. And this is particularly important for men, particularly big men. Humor is difficult to pin down. It's real, but it always kind of eludes definition. I, I know I looked, couldn't find one that really satisfied me. And no one is more transparent than someone trying to use humor to confront painful emotions. It's an adaptive defense. And transparency is one of the goals for a meaningful and happy life. 
By the way, just as an aside, the word silly actually comes from the old English word selig, which means to be happy, peaceful, and blessed. So let your hair down, act a little silly, you'll feel better. Hold on, I gotta get a sip of tea here. All right, the eighth trait that we're looking to facilitate, cultivate, or improve is, and this is a, a term from Dennis Charney. He said, you want to develop a tap code. And the reason it's called a tap code is because the POWs in Vietnam developed a 25-letter alphabet. It was a five-by-five five grid with five characters across and five characters down, and they fit the 25 characters in that grid. And they would communicate through the walls of their cells by laboriously tapping. The first tap was the column number. The second tap was the row number. So there was two series of taps separated by a pause, which equals one letter. And using this system, one POW taught the other prisoners a foreign language. That's some perseverance. That's some patience. A group of POWs also learned structural engineering from one prisoner and designed their own custom homes for when they got back home, down to every last nut and bolt. One POW actually built that home from memory upon his return to U.S. soil. Imagine that. The parallel here in your life is to develop and maintain a healthy social network of friends and family. Because this is one of the keys to resiliency. We must have the ability to authentically communicate with others if we want to live well. And that means increasing your ability to communicate within relationship. It means improving your emotional granularity. And it means improving your emotional intelligence. Everyone needs support during difficult times. And the better you get at it, the better you weather the storm. And finally, number nine is... Become a flexible thinker. One of the hallmarks of psychological health is flexibility of thought. The opposite of flexibility of thought is cognitive rigidity. And consider how many rigid thinkers do you know? Stubborn people who won't change their mind even when presented with convincing evidence. My experience is that rigid thinking is the norm right now, especially in the political arena which seems to dominate and overshadow most of our other thinking. And part of this is the Dunning-Kruger effect. And the Dunning-Kruger effect is a cognitive bias where people with lower ability or intelligence overestimate their knowledge and or their own ability. On the other hand, those with a higher level of intelligence tend to underestimate their knowledge level and or ability. And this is because the more one learns, the more one is aware of just how much they truly don't know. This bias arises for those with lower IQ from an inability to recognize their own lack of ability because they lack the skill of metacognition, that is, the ability to reflect on their own thinking. Or put another way, thinking about thinking. So they cannot objectively or correctly assess their own level of competence, knowledge, or ability. So let me share with you a, a Taoist story to demonstrate the impact of flexible thinking. And this is one of my favorite stories. And it goes like this. 
Once upon a time, there was an old farmer who had worked his fields for years and years. One day, his horse ran away. Upon hearing the news, his neighbors came to visit. And they cried out, oh, no, that is such bad luck, they said sympathetically. And the farmer replied, good luck, bad luck, who knows? The next morning, the horse trotted back to the barn and brought with it three wild horses. The neighbors saw this and proclaimed, how wonderful, such good luck. Good luck, bad luck, who knows, said the old farmer. The very next day, his son fell into a ditch and broke his leg. The neighbors came by to share in the farmer's apparent misery. Oh, I'm so sorry. That is such bad luck. Now you will have a hard time plowing the fields. Good luck, bad luck. Who knows, said the farmer. Two days later, as the son was laid up in bed, army officials came to the village to conscript all the young, capable men into the army. When the army captain saw that the son's leg was broken, they passed him by taking all the other young men in the village. The neighbors congratulated the farmer on how fortunate the farmer was to have a son with a broken leg. That is such good luck. Your son was saved from war. Good luck, bad luck. Who knows, said the farmer. I I think you get the idea of how this plays out. So what's the point? Well, two points come to my mind in this story. First, it points out that having some psychological distance between the story you're telling yourself and the actual situation is very beneficial to maintaining equanimity or an even emotional landscape. Because truly, we do not know how things will ultimately turn out. We don't know the ultimate reality. In other words, no event in and of itself can truly be judged as good or bad as lucky or unlucky. Only time and distance can tell the whole story. Creating more space, more psychological distance, helps reduce stress to allow you to move through life with less emotional volatility. And that's one of my goals, is moving through life with less emotional volatility. On a scale of 1 to 10, I try and stay between a 4 and a 6 emotionally. Because I definitely don't want to be really depressed at a one. And while many of us shoot to be like at a nine or a 10, really joyous, really excited, very happy, I've also found that what comes up, what goes up, comes down. And so it works much better to hang out between that four and six range and focus on contentment, kind of a a mild happiness. So the second point. And and I think this point is often overlooked in the retelling of this story. The Taoist farmer did not cultivate his mindset of non-attachment as a means to an end. In other words, he wasn't looking to create psychological distance from his story to lessen his stress or reduce his blood pressure. The truth is, he had learned non-attachment. He had learned not to divide life's vicissitudes up into good and bad. He had learned to be more non-judgmental. He simply viewed life as one unified, interconnected field of energy. A blanket, if you will. A sheet. And this field is not doing anything to you. It's not personal. It has nothing to do with luck. It simply is. It's just life. 
And this is open-mindedness. This is flexible thinking. This is enlightenment. This is metacognition. Thinking about thinking. Equanimity. Understanding you are not your mind. You are the observer of your mind. Your mind, let's say, is simply a puppy on crack cocaine. A visual which I like. So how do you build metacognition? Well, I can't go into too much detail in this in this episode, but one way to begin is to practice some form of meditation such as mindfulness. This allows you to begin to cultivate control of your own attention, which is extremely powerful. Rather than your mind trying to tell you where it wants to look, you tell your eyeballs and your mind where to pay attention, what to pay attention to. It also allows you to observe your own thoughts more objectively. So it builds metacognition. And how do you build flexible thinking? Well, I would say you want to practice using different tools and techniques in overcoming each challenge. You want to begin to value and cultivate a flexible mindset. And there are three steps to doing this. And you can use these to help you focus your mind. First, ask yourself, what's happening to me? What do I need to do here? So what's the situation? Second, ask yourself, what tools do I have in my mental toolbox to help me with this? And you can even cultivate a list of tools or write down a list of tools that you have. I know I've got a list of three, I have three pages of tools that I teach to my clients that I share with them at the end of our working together. And third, decide which of those options you're good at, and then try that approach. If it works, great. If it's not working, then you reassess, and you can modify that approach, or you can change strategies until you get something that works. That's flexibility of thinking. It's not beating your head against a wall, thinking that the repeated action is going to miraculously result in some new outcome. Another tool is to practice putting yourself in other people's shoes throughout the day. And just imagine what it's like to be that person in terms of what they may be thinking. And the next step is imagine what it may be like to be them in terms of what they are feeling. This simple practice helps to build cognitive and emotional empathy. A final tool is to foster emotional granularity. I mentioned this earlier, and this is the idea of drilling down into what you feel, getting more and more specific about what it is exactly that you're feeling. And again, there's research that shows that we can only name about three emotions. Angry, good, sad. There's another study that showed that men can name about eight emotions on average, women about 17. But we're not very specific. You know, hey, how you feeling? Hey, Bob, how are things? Good. Yeah, but how do you really feel? Stressed. Okay, so now ask yourself, what are two other possibilities for how I feel beyond simply stressed? Perhaps overwhelmed and scared or frustrated and tired? or melancholy and self-protective. Emotional granularity is a key component of emotional intelligence. 
We know that simply putting the right emotional word on how we're feeling helps us feel more in control of our emotions, and it turns down the volume on those pesky, uncomfortable emotions. All right, another sip of tea, pardon me. I'm not editing this out. I don't have the uh, budget for that. (laughs) So in wrapping up this mini-series on resiliency, let me share one of my other favorite stories called The Donkey and the Farmer. A lot of farmer stories, huh? Weird. One day, a farmer's prized donkey fell into an old abandoned well. The donkey whimpered and cried for hours as the farmer tried to figure out what to do. After giving it some thought, the farmer decided that the donkey had lived a long life. The well needed to be covered up anyway. So in the end, it just wasn't worth trying to save the donkey. The farmer decided to bury the donkey. This was not in the era of animal rights, apparently. The farmer invited all of his neighbors over to help shovel dirt into the old well. Everyone grabbed a shovel and began shoveling dirt in the well. At first, when the donkey realized what was going on, he cried and hee-hawed terribly, as he was certain he was going to die. After a few moments, however, the donkey slowly quieted down. Eventually, the farmer and his neighbors didn't hear anything at all. A few piles of dirt later, the farmer looked down the well to say one final goodbye to the donkey. When he looked down the well, he was amazed at what he saw. With every shovel full of dirt that landed on top of the donkey, the donkey would shake the dirt off his back and take a step up towards the light. As the farmer's neighbors kept shoveling dirt on top of the animal, he continued to shake it off and take another step up. Soon enough, everyone was astonished as the donkey was high enough to walk right over the edge of the well and trotted off on his merry way. What's the point, you ask? The point is that life at times is just like being stuck in that well. Life throws dirt on you all the time. Daily, all kinds of dirt. One trick to being happier and succeeding is to shake off the dirt and use it to take another step up towards the light, towards your values. You see, each one of our troubles can be a stepping stone, a challenge, a lesson to be learned. We can always manage to get out of the deepest wells by not stopping, by never giving up by shaking off the dirt and taking that next step. How you respond to challenges, that is the dirt that life throws on top of you, is a powerful indicator of how happy you are, how resilient you are, and how successful you will be. People with an optimistic attitude see obstacles and setbacks as temporary challenges, challenges that can be overcome with effort. And that one attitude of realistic optimism provides the foundation for resilience that fuels high achievers. So that's it for this episode. That is part two of the two-part resiliency miniseries. So until next time, this is Dr. John. And this is the Evolved Caveman. If you've liked this episode, please feel free to like, rate, and review on Apple Podcast. If you didn't like it, 
If you thought it sucked tight tit, that's okay. You don't need to do a damn thing. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. If you like what you've heard, support us by subscribing, leaving reviews, and sharing the podcast with friends and colleagues. For the latest, most powerful tools to connect with like-minded men, join the Facebook group at The Evolved Caveman. Follow Dr. John on Instagram at The Evolved Caveman, all one word, or join the email list by visiting guidetoself.com. 